I have a repeat guest. Alex Lindsay is back. Thanks for joining me again. Glad to be here. I mostly know you from MacBreak Weekly, which you've been doing for a long time now. And you were always the voice of what do professionals really think, which is sometimes a hard uh, opinion to find access to. A lot of the sort of tech media will come at it from the perspective of a writer or you know just a internet personality. But you do big productions that require a lot of gear. And so your opinion has always been very valuable. Thanks. Thanks. I, I think it's, it's, you can't be very, uh, I guess when you're in production, a lot of times it's hard to be idealistic, <laughs> you know, like you, the, you know, I like to call it, um, I tend to call it, uh, being a, a practical perfectionist, um, you know, which is that you're always trying to make it better. You're always trying to get to that next thing. You're always looking to kind of keep on making it go, going down the path, but you understand that this is where we are right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this and, is what we need, you know, to, to do this right now. We can't, it, it's not all going to be perfect. And sometimes without overcomplicating your setup too. I, uh, I've, yeah. I've got this, this is kind of the back and forth I've done with even how I do this podcast of sometimes I'm like, you know what? The video quality doesn't matter. I'm just going to like focus on the audio. And then I look at the video after one of those episodes, I'm like, I can make it better. And then I add a whole bunch of uh, external cameras and complicated. And it's always this going back and forth between the gear versus the content and it's a struggle. Yeah, I, I have a hard, a very hard time with that. I, I, I keep on changing cameras. Like I, so I keep on in, increasing the the quality of the camera. Um, and, uh, and so that, that, that's the kind of the constant challenge that I have, but yeah, my whole set is kind of in chaos. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, it doesn't move super fast, but it, it's constantly moving. You know, I'm adding a couple more things here and a couple more things there. And the hard part is every day I'm on with other people that are doing the same thing. And so all of us just keep pushing each other right, very each gently other. <laughs> forward. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you're like, Oh, what is he using there? What are they, what is she doing there? And, and I was like, I got to try that. And then the next thing you know, you spend another thousand dollars. So, Well, and to give people that aren't familiar with you a sense of what you do outside of when you're talking on the internet, what kind of productions are you working on? What sort of setups do you usually uh, work with? Yeah. So I, I mostly manage, uh, I manage com- I mean, my job is mostly as a fixer. <laughs> like I go in and fix things that aren't quite working quite right. Um, and usually I would say that what I do in my job is mostly that I replace complex solutions with simple solutions that do complex things. You know, so how do we simplify everything so that it's more predictable and how do we make that work? And inside of that, I do a lot of live events. Right now I'm mostly doing live activations to theaters. So the, when I do live, I'm mostly thinking not so much about the internet. I do that for my own shows, but for my job, I'm mostly thinking about um, theater distribution. So it's it's how do we send over fiber or over the internet to multiple theaters or multiple venues, um, a, a live experience, and then tie the, the viewers back in and so on and so forth. So that's mostly what I'm working on. Cool. Well, some of the things I wanted to go over today, uh, starting with uh, the M3 family of chips yeah. um, and your perspective using them, if you have yet, I'm not sure, but I've had my hands on the M3 Max and I haven't made anything to talk about it yet. I've just been kind of testing it and using it and pushing it, but um, this is my first chance really to go over what it's been like. And um, I think before going to my specific model, I just want to talk a bit about the, it, it, there feels like there's been this shift in the relationship of the M3 family between the base model, the Pro and the Max. It's it's not the same as what we had with the, well, nothing's been the same. M1, M2, M3, nothing's really, we haven't found a predictable rhythm each time the sort of the, what what to expect about like release schedules or performance relative to each other is shifting. But this time, what I've really found to be the biggest shift is kind of the relationship between, you know, what does pro mean? What does max mean? And 
um, it's it's just been kind of surprising. Have you had yeah, a chance to use any of them? I haven't used any of them yet. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a heavy desktop user, but not an iMac user, and so. I really haven't needed to needed to move up. I, I I've never really got. I haven't gotten review copies uh, hardware from Apple for a long time, and so uh, so I buy what I need. And um, right now, what I have are a, a Mac Studio and a stack of Mac Minis that I use on my desk for for what I do. And so I you know I I'm not I don't travel enough post COVID to warrant getting a really powerful laptop. So I still have a an Intel laptop. It's like my last Intel machine is my laptop wow. because. <laughs> I mean, I don't even, yeah. you know, because I, I, it's, you know, because I turn it on. It's like all I do is use it for office hours in the morning and maybe to check a couple things. Right. But I mostly, uh, I don't, and I usually my travel is usually a day or two. Like it's not. I used to be gone for six weeks and I'd have to do all the production that I needed to do, and so I always had a laptop and I worried about it. And I just don't don't use laptops very much anymore. And so um, it's just it's just the connectivity is difficult and. Again, I have a desk that I'm in most days, and it's got a lot of power um, that's built into it, and so I don't worry about it as much. I really love the Mac Minis and the and the Studios. Um, the Mac Studio, I haven't, or the Mac Pro, I haven't really justified yet. Like I don't know what I would do with that yet. Um, you know, for what I do right now. Yeah. Um, so it's not. I haven't had something to pay for it. I guess is the, the bottom line. And then the and the and the iMac, I go, oh, that'd be really good to buy for my parents or my grand, you know, my parents-in-law or something like that. But I don't, or my kids maybe. Um, but I haven't really needed one yet um, on my end. And so, because I really love the the problem that I have, it's hard. To, I don't have a good wide shot to show here, but I've got, you know, eight monitors, uh, or you know, usually it's six to eight monitors. But I have more screens available to me, you know, um, than I have monitors. Yep. And so I have a router that I'm routing, but I'm routing stuff to my mixer or my switcher and my my screens and everything else. And I think that generates a certain lifestyle, which is that I really like Mac Minis and stuff because I just stack them up. Mm -hmm. And then I have my studio that I work on, and I don't have to, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out what I would do with a laptop is half the problem. You know, like where would I put it? You know, well, because I have kind of a whole workstation, if, uh, work workspace. Let's here. just say that the M3 Studio had been updated at this point. Would the what you've seen in processor gains would that be tempting enough to upgrade? Yeah, um, actually, which sorry, yeah. which one are you on with the studio? Is it M1? I'm on the Max, the the M2, the yeah. the, the last the, or the first one, whatever came out. I mean, I bought the studio as it was being released as a as a um, uh, as the Max version, not the Ultra version. Right. So I I stayed one behind. I do find it weird that I I know that Apple brought, has a reason for this, but I do think it's weird that they're, they're releasing the laptops and the and the IMAX before the studio and the pro, like it just, it just, it cognitively, I'm like, you know, you should, the high performance machine should get the high performance chips first. Yeah. You, you expect and then the you features to like trickle down, not trickle yeah, up. Not, That's uh, not really a thing. And, and it's just yeah. weird. Like I haven't, I haven't seen anybody test it against their pro and I haven't tested it against my, my, uh, my Mac studio. But I feel like if I had a laptop that was going faster than the Mac Studio, I feel like I'm back in the 90s because that's what happened in the 90s, which which mm -hmm. was that the G3 was suddenly the laptops were suddenly faster than the 604s. The 603s were faster because they had a bigger L2 cache, and that made them faster than the G4 in in almost every way. So you had laptops that were faster than desktops, and it just the whole thing felt inverted. And that's what I feel like we're in right now is that Apple somehow is inverting this, and I think it's just the way that their manufacturing works and everything else but i feel like they're going to have to sync that up at some point where they they get back to that that tiktok well yeah i haven't verified it entirely myself yet i've done a few tests but based on everything i've been saying it's looking like you know the m3 max is 
outperforming the M2 Ultra in certain situations, like certain multi-core yeah. processes. It's doing better than the best desktop you can buy right now, which is just such a strange situation to be in. And, yeah. you know, I, it's like they all, they, for the most part, this MacBook Pro release like leveled out the the choices for the laptops, I think. It's it's a little easier mm-hmm. to choose, but it really confuses things now comparing it to the desktops. It's that like it, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I'm excited. I'm ex- I mean, I will say that I'm excited that the chips are doing so well. The, 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 that the chips are interesting. That they are. It, it's exciting that the that the uh, that Apple has gone on to this new path where they're not contained by Intel's ability to move forward, um, and they have an architecture. And the advantage of this architecture is stunning because you, when you own the programming platform, when you own the hardware and the software, the ability to create integration is just stunning. And I don't think any, you know, there's not really been any company that's ever really been in that position where they were doing the operating system, the programming environment, the hardware, everything about it is all tied together. And that gives Apple an incredible, I mean, it's like a, it's like a Krupp's arms <laughs> vertical yeah. integration that, that really gives them a, a lot, a superpower. So I think it's, I'm really excited about where they're going. I just think that this one part of it is like, I don't understand like why we don't get the new pro versions of, of things. And I'm, I'm not in a rush. I'm kind of glad that they're not doing that because I'm saving up my money for a vision. Right. Vision right. Pro. Got and so I'm like, I'm like, it's really good for them not to put anything out until June. Cause I'll, that'll, I'll take the money that I saved and spend it on a headset. So it was just on uh, the pedal petapixel podcast talking about cameras and things. But, um, one of the conversations we had there was about, is there still a reason to, to purchase PCs? And, um, I'm starting to get to the point where, of course, desktops, there are all sorts of applications that will always make sense with the big tower, lots of power, lots of GPUs. But for laptops or anything portable, the you know, if you don't specifically need Windows, the actual machines don't, I, I, I just can't justify it anymore for yeah, anyone. It, it doesn't make sense. I get, so under $500. So these little, these are like these little quieter threes or quieter twos, uh, quieter three, I guess is the one, this is this one. And so this is a little, little right. PC and as a little like utility knife, um, this isn't a bad PC to have. Uh, I got a couple of these that I kind of use as glue, yeah. um, you know, to, to tie things together, to play, to jump into zoom in after hours or to do other things like that. Um, uh, and then below that of course is like raspberry Pis, and below that is, <laughs> is Arduinos. And then you have the Mac and the Mac starts for me at about five or $600 and it goes all the way up to 12,000. You know, that yeah. like that's all, I don't, I have a very hard, unless I need a specific application, I have a hard time excusing buying anything between those, the 500 to 12,000 range. Over that, I need multiple GPUs. I need NVIDIA. I need, mm-hmm. you know, whatever those things are, that makes sense. You know, well, like to me, PCs make sense at, at those levels because you just can't scale the Mac to that, to what some of those can do. Yeah. What use cases do you still find for a, a built out PC? Like what, cause I always try to put myself in an imaginary position of, oh, I know there are people that do this. 3D is an obvious one, but in the world of just like more video production or live, when would, when does it still make sense to build out a tower? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're, you're looking at, I mean, where we have built them out in the past where we couldn't get a Mac is when we're stitching like 360s or, or 180s, we're stitching all that live. We've got six cameras coming in, we're running a stitch across all of those, and those all have to be tied together. We might even be adding graphics to that, we might be flowing data into those things, and you need multiple, we needed up to four G- GPUs just to make the thing run, you know, and even those were on on fire, busy, you know, to make that actually happen. And so those are one place, another place is, with photogrammetry, you can do it on the Mac, um, 
the more hardware you add to it, the faster it goes. And some of the photogrammetry stuff I've done has taken days to calculate. So reducing that from days down to six hours or three hours of, 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 of processing power makes a difference. Um, when you get into, so those, and some real time, there's some real time stuff that you might want to do that is, that wants to be, you know, uh, multi-screen, multi-background, but still integrated into one machine. So those are some other areas that that I think are still a, a PC world that we go, oh, I can't do that on the Mac right now. You know, and, and some of it has to do with software, but a lot of it has to do with multiple GPUs, you know, and specifically multiple NVIDIA cards. NVIDIA's got a lot of subsystems that people have written to. So the NVIDIA cards are really the thing that probably pulls us towards the PCs more than Apple will never support those. And so, so we, you know, we, we've given up the, the idea of let's argue with Apple about supporting the NVIDIA right. cards. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Well, yeah. And that reminds me actually, let's circle back eventually to both photogrammetry and also like, uh, Gaussian splats is that the new word for them? And nerfs and <laughs> nerf, yeah, nerfs or Gaussian splats, whatever you want to call love, them. I'd yeah, love to absolutely. chat about that a bit more afterwards. But um, yeah. directly, uh, what I've actually been testing lately, which again, the so I th this is the review unit from Apple. They sent me the N3 Max with everything, and yeah. I mean the so far the the most exciting thing so far I think might be the fact that it has 128 gigs of RAM, which. I don't know if I'd pull that trigger myself. It's incredibly expensive, yeah. but once yeah. it's there, there becomes this feeling of invincibility where you can just keep everything open all the time. And I, what I keep running into in, in each of my reviews, I'm like, well, I need to find more and more aggressive tests that are still well, realistic in the test. real world that actually might slow this down. And the one that I'm still running into, the one it hasn't been able to pass, that's, that's pretty common, is running noise removal and some kind of uh, grain emulation as well at the same time. Right. Those both continue to slow it down so that it's well, and then, slower. And than also rendering. I mean, if you if right. you render 3D, you you're going to run into you know global elimination. There's no, you know, we we joke that it's you know when you render for film, generally the accepted number is 45 minutes of frame. You know, like 45 minutes of frame, and you just keep the the frames keep getting more and more detailed. But right. if you look back at at Toy Story, I think it was actually, Toy Story might have been a little bit more, but there was some time in the 90s where it became like 40 minute, 45 minutes of frame is something we see often. And as the hardware got better, we, it didn't become 30 minutes of frame or 15 minutes of frame. We just kept on adding things into it until it was until it was back to 45 minutes of frame on average. And, you know, now, and now we're, you know, getting these incredible images that, that come out of it, but it's, but we just keep on throwing it at the hardware. But, and then again, the photogrammetry, I, I can probably send you, uh, remind me and I'll send you a, a file. Well, this is with. something I've been trying to sort out from Apple's, um, sort of their pitch to, to me, right? When they show the demos at their events, they're like, look at this Redshift render and how great you can do all these 3D things. And now there's more Octane Sport and all this stuff. I don't actually do that work. And I always wonder, does anybody choose a Mac for it? I mean, it it looks great that it will go that much faster, but won't it always still oh, there's go a faster? There's a lot of designers that would. There's a lot of designers that would prefer a Mac. Like they just like Macs better, you mm -hmm. know. So they 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 grew up through that, and then they want to use it. Um, you know, they they could go to a PC to do those things, and I think Apple needs to kind of keep breaking that down a little bit um, to make that more available. And so, but I I think the people there's there are definitely designers that use Mac everywhere else other than their workstation, and they don't like necessarily using a pc for that part um but but apple would have to prove that it makes makes a difference and i think that some companies are really good at optimizing for that so like maxon is pushing cinema 4d pretty hard 
as far as like how to take full advantage of the of the um, libraries that Apple's providing, as well as uh, companies like um, you know Blackmagic and Resolve, you know, really looking at how do they optimize for the hardware, right. and that's where. And so I think that I think you're seeing some more of that, and I think as Apple, there's some point where I think Intel has a hard time. You know, that everyone's now looking at ARM, but the problem they're going to have with ARM is that that they're they're getting into it now because Apple is you know cleaning their clocks in a lot of ways as far as price per watt and price per per dollar um, is starting to become problematic for them. The hard part is is that without owning the hardware manufacturer and design, the operating system, the the uh, you know the the development yeah. environment, yeah, how can they do it? As well as all, the, it's very very hard to make this work. This is a really hard problem, and it what what's interesting about it is that Apple takes the thing that was their disadvantage, which is that they're not working with everybody. And makes it their advantage. You know, this right. is this plays to this idea that we should own everything in that in that process, and 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 all the way up to the edge where you start adding at the applications. If you ever see Jared from Red do live streams, which he occasionally does, these very candid live streams on YouTube. This one I was watching mm -hmm. when he was talking about developing the the hydrogen phone. Right, the the Red was going to build a phone. If anybody forgets, with what would be effectively like a red camera in a something that holds, oh, hey, and you just happen to have one. I've never seen one in person. There it is. I mean, there it is. I love this phone. I, mean, I love this is my this is my my favorite phone that was ever made. Um, although it's it's kind of out along in the tooth now, but it's a stereo phone and it really does stereo. Yeah, like it, it does good stereo. And and it was just so imaginative. And I love the fact and it had this great you know, um, this little connector, the smart connector at the bottom. I don't know if my, my uh, smart connector on the bottom that never turned into anything, but we were excited. <laughs> no, I like, love, I love that they tried. I love the, I love the idea. I loved what they did here. I loved, um, I bought, I bought it the day of, I bought the plat, the, whatever the, the platinum one. Is that the right? Good one? I think I can't remember the tungsten, uh, yeah, t titanium, I yeah. think, or platinum or whatever they called it. I bought this one and then they, it was late. So they sent me another one, the regular one, which I, I think I gave to Andy Anako. And, and then, and then I, I got this one and, and I, I took pictures with it all the time. And now I'm excited about the Apple platform, you know, the, the iPhone 15, but I've been shooting with this one. I was shooting with it for, for years oh, just because I, I love stereo. Well, I love stereo. What, what he was saying in the live stream that was so kind of revealing is he's like, you know, we, we know how to build great cameras. And of course they do like red, Red has done it. Their sensors are wonderful. Everybody knows how good they are. And they're like, we thought we could do the same thing for phones and just brute force it with great hardware. And right. he's like, we just underestimated how much that Apple integration was actually doing to take pretty mediocre hardware because the, the Apple sensor, the, the Sony sensors and yeah. an iPhone are not where the red sensor is and just pull everything together in these magical ways that even you know a, a world-class camera company like Red couldn't couldn't match it even you know even though like I mean, top of the line red camera can beat the quality of an iPhone they couldn't figure out how to have that you know end ending uh, integration well and and the thing the hard part is is that like I don't know ten years ago when when uh, sixty minutes did some tour of, of Apple it was they came out with there's two hundred engineers working on the camera that was ten years ago when <laughs> right. when we weren't sure that cameras mattered you know like how how much they mattered but, but the bottom line is everyone's making their decision about what kind of camera, like we were listening to all the iPhone launch. Everyone's just listening for, yeah, 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 yeah. What are the specs on the new camera? Like, 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 like what are we going to get on the new yeah, camera? Absolutely. And that's all anybody waits for. And then you go, okay, I'll decide to buy it or not based on whether the camera is enough of a jump from where I'm, where I, wherever I am now. Cause we have to remember that 
a 15, an iPhone 15 is not selling to the iPhone 14. Well, it is for me, but it's not normally for normal people. It's not selling to an iPhone 14 owner. It's selling to an iPhone 12 or 11 or 10, yep. you know, of them getting to a precipice where they go, okay, it's time to, to upgrade. And the 15 is really nice, by the way. Well, let's talk a lot about that in about 10 seconds. I just, one more thing I want to hit on the laptop that I think is somewhat misunderstood. So I want to emphasize it a little bit is that the display is, is mostly the same. And that's, I think most people have perceived that the new MacBook Pros have the same display as before, because I think the hardware inside might be, but what it's doing now is that the SDR displays 20% brighter. Um, so it's offering 600 nits in just like standard viewing. And I think it's people spend a lot of time focusing on those HDR numbers because it's the high number, right? It's peak brightness. This is when you're watching HDR right. content. There is more impact from the SDR brightness than the HDR. Like you, it's what you experience day to day. It's can you sit outside and use your computer? Can you crank it up high enough to see what's going on? Uh, the same thing goes for when you, you know when you buy on camera monitors, right? Like if you want something that you're going to use outside, you don't care about pe like peak brightness. It needs to stay, it needs to stay two thousand right, nits right. for a, a few hours. So I just want to kind of drive home something I've seen missed overall, that that bump in SDR brightness is actually really quite nice. I've had it sitting next to uh, the M1 um, MacBook Pro, and uh, you can absolutely see it. And if we keep getting those little incremental bumps to the standard brightness level, that I, I would yeah. take more of it. I really appreciate it. Well, and and I'm I'm just amazed. I, I still have to admit that to go to the phone again is just I have because I don't have the new laptop, but I can say from the phone perspective, I'm just amazed at the brightness, the the unbelievable images. You take a photo and it's kind of like do 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 do. You take the photo and then it pops up on your photos and it looks dark for a second, and then it goes oh here's bright have, and it just looks amazing. Have you tried any of the? Like, uh, I cannot believe I'm shooting this with a phone. HDMI monitoring through the iPad, like the Orion app that came out recently. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I just want that on the phone so badly, and I, I know it's a restriction yeah. uh, in somewhere in iOS. Uh, Sebastian Twitz mentioned that they can't do it yet. But once that app hits and everybody can use an iPhone through HDMI as a monitor, oh, yeah. I don't know if, if small HD is going to sell a lot of monitors. Like, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be the using it all the time. The hard part is just being willing to give up your phone. You know, like I, right. I, I just I, buy more I, What was funny was I, I was going to give back my iPhone 14 and the problem is I'm used, still using it too much on other things. I like got a little extra camera and a little exactly. extra thing. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to give this up. Like I've never given up. A, I haven't given up an app iPhone since I bought one. Like they just slowly just, die and yeah, the battery gets to, to a point where they're not useful. But I use them for, I've got an iPhone eight. That's like a clock that's up here that, that is just tells me what time it is, you know, and it's just, you know, they, they slowly just kind of wind their way down into some version of usefulness. So we, this is something we already talked about a lot. Cause uh, I came on your show recently, uh, office hours and we went through every single detail of the shot on iPhone Apple event. And I feel like we didn't even scratch the surface even in an hour of that. Um, yeah, we ran out of time. We were just like, okay, well, we got to it. And they, they just put out another ad with another behind the scenes. I was like, I was going to, I was going to say, Hey, you got to come back on. Cause well, we're going to, so let's, we're gonna, let's we're talk about, about the future of it. Like let's, I, I want to figure out, or I, I think I want to, you know, tease out the story of what will this actually be? Because it's easy to see like, okay, well, uh, you know, the video looks good, but the conversation in, in my comment section anyway, is usually, okay, sure, it looks better than it used to, but when is a filmmaker ever going to choose an iPhone over an Alexa or a Red? They're not. They're going to choose the big camera every single time, so this isn't, this doesn't even matter. Maybe. Which, what, yeah, what really so that I don't agree with, but I want to I know your take on that. Um, the creator, did you see the creator? I didn't watch it yet, but I am aware. 
FX FX three. Yeah. Not even an FX six. Like he shot like Gareth Edwards did an FX three. Mm-hmm. And you see the behind the scenes and and here's what I here's what I noticed watching and it's not perfect by the way. So when you watch the sh- when you watch the movie, there are things that I can I can see that I can tell you that it looks that way because they shot it on an FX3. They don't have the data there. They had to push it. And now I see a bunch of grain. You know, like there are times when it, and it's not like nice grain, like like, like digital grain. There, there's a couple shots that I was just like, oh, that didn't work. You know, and, and so um, so there was, uh, but but for the most part, it works really well. And the thing that he talked about less than, I mean, some of it might've been budgetary, um, but what he talked about related to that was, the freedom it gives you. you. You you see a bunch of shots of him shooting on an RS2. I think it was an RS2 or RS3. You know, so the, he's got Ronins there that he's that he's using for that instead of a Steadicam operator. You know that he can control. Like he, he doesn't know how. To, I mean, I don't think I don't think he's a Steadicam operator. My brother is. So he'll, few my brother are. will tell you the it's, thousand. It's a real skill. Yeah, and so my brother will tell you all the things you can do with a Steadicam that are really hard to do with a Ronin. And um, but but he uh, um. But the thing is, is it lets him decide that as the director. There's things that he can just grab onto and shoot the way he wants to shoot it. And it's not complex and it's really small and it's on these little rigs and it gives him a certain level of freedom. I can see where, and I've started to shoot some footage on my, uh, I mean, I, I shot a, I shot 14 minutes of my daughter. My daughter just started playing in a band. She was playing at a, at a local venue and um, she's playing drums. And I, and I shot uh, 14 minutes of it. I was like, Holy smokes, it's a 38 gig file. Like it was a huge file. And I opened it up and it looks really nice. You know, it's a really nice shot. And uh, and I was kind of amazed that I shot that with my phone. And I and I started it started to get me going and uh, of like, where would I shoot this? And we are already like, for instance, that behind the scenes, I think that whole whole launch for the Mac Pros and everything else. Apple in the past has oftentimes just made those like a press release. I personally think that a big part of that launch was a commercial for the iPhone. Yeah, we want to show constant. you, you know, like more than more than anything else, we want to show you that you, we can shoot a keynote with an iPhone. I mean, that's what most of my was, coverage was afterwards. Like, I, I, I everyone forgot yeah, about that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I released like, multiple videos about this and uh, not as many. About yeah, them. I know. I mean, it, yeah, it is so, huge news. Well, and and within a week, I was starting to get questions. We work with a lot of film partners. I was getting questions from film companies of if we shoot this interview with an iPhone 15, what are the specs? And I'm, I gave them back. I was like, well, we'd really like to see 4K, you know, like 4K. And if you can do 60, you know, 24, it's okay. If we can do 60, the pipeline that I was working with was a 60 frame pipeline. So I was like, give it to us in 60 or 30 if you don't have an external hard drive, which you can just plug into your, which is amazing. Um, and and so, so it was, I just found it to be a little surreal that I was making these requests that were just outrageous, you know, like yeah. that I was making this request of, of someone and when you look at all the rigs when you look at what's happening i think that uh i think you could shoot scenes where it's a lot more portable than what you would um it's a lot more portable than what you would do otherwise and, and it, I, as i know that like when i do training for instance i shoot a lot of stuff with everything from aries to venices to black magic 12ks to six black magic 6ks to you know i have all these cameras that we shoot with um you know a lot of my heavier work is done in those in the in that realm um my webcams are mostly sony because of autofocus <laughs> so so um but the um but the the i i could see where when i train switch to training like we have this big kit that we send out to people like 
sea level that has got an instruction. 45 minutes it'll take you to set it up. Mm-hmm. And it's got a video instructions on how to put it together. And this is a six, uh, it's a Blackmagic 6K with a mixed pre and it ties into a Mac mini and we can remote control it. And this is how you, and it, this is as easy to put together as we could make it. When we built that training, I did not shoot it with a 6K camera. I shot it with my iPhone because I can move it to where I need it to be really quickly. I can handhold it. I can move it up and I can move it down. I can show you this other angle. I can do all these other things. And so there's a flexibility that I chose to go with to build the training video. And I do that a lot if I want to show you something. And so I think that, but I think that now you could shoot short films, especially as a filmmaker, maybe not once you have budget, but there's a lot of people like the most important thing about filmmaking is to go do it, mm-hmm. you know, like, and write a story over a weekend and go shoot it like a 48 hour film festival or do those things like go through the process of shooting it because the map is never the territory and you have to go through this pain of just like, I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to live with my mistakes. I'm going to be excited about my successes and I'm going to cut, cut a film and I'm going to deliver it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that being able to do that on a phone is pretty powerful, you know, like, and, and it's, and, and I think that that's the thing that, um, you know, for people starting and, you know, being able to tell a story, you can now tell a story that is easily broadcastable on TV, um, and definitely for news, um, that you shot with your iPhone and it's not going to look any yeah. less, it's not going to look any less than the broadcast cameras, which are, you know, 1080i. Well, or I remember two thirds inch chip. seeing the difference when reality TV started switching to good cameras. Cause for a long time, I mean, I don't know what they're shooting on, but it was, you know, small sensors, the highlights were clipped yeah. and if it was a reality show, it looked bad. That was part of the deal. You know what? I watch over my wife's shoulder when she's watching Netflix right now. And I'm like, that looks pretty good. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what they're using, but it's a set of modern Sony's. And it's like, this is, you know, basically as good as yeah. a movie, just with a different grading and lighting choice. Um, but now yeah. that that's a really good example of where I think it'll fit in. All of a sudden you need a bunch of pickup shots of the location. Like, you know, yeah. you're going to send a really small crew around the city just to get establishing shots. They might, they might do better on the iPhone without having to rig anything up, without having to worry about setting up Ronins well, or having a bigger team. Like if you send one person with a phone, they might cover more ground and come back with better yeah. material than if they had a bigger set. I had a I had a situation where we stole you know we 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 call it stealing shots right so we were we were stealing shots in L A and which is a hard place to steal shots because yeah they all know what's up yeah. you know like like you yeah. you bring a tripod to most cities and they're like eh, you know what are they doing it's so cute and in L A they're like hey you need a permit for that yeah you know well, and, and so so underrated is that you don't need a tripod with the <laughs> iPhone like the stabilization is actually amazing yeah yeah and and we shot we shot a shot where we needed a the foreground element we shot in Japan this is a subject and he's sitting on the beach. We can't, we don't, we didn't have the budget or he didn't have the schedule to fly out. So we're going to shoot him in front of green screen in between a bunch of other shots that we were doing. And we needed a, um, we needed a background shot of Santa Monica, of the beach in Santa Monica. So we went to Santa Monica and we pulled out a F23, the old Sony F23, which is a digital film camera. And we take that out on the beach and we set it up and we shoot a background plate that I absolutely could shoot now with an iPhone, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and it got, you know, it wasn't the right same grading. It, we had to do all the grading that we'd have to do. But if I shot that with log, um, with on a, on an iPhone, I totally could have totally done exactly what I did for that shot with that iPhone that I did with it, you know, in the, in the, in the shot that I did there. And, and that's the kind of those background shots, pickup shots, wide shots, establishing shots, all of those things, not for a big feature film. We have to, you know, but, but for small budget films, and medium budget films and TV and web and web, you know, and I think that the other thing we have to look at is when we look at the business of, of this, the coming market is 
YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, more and, people shooting the small and medium budget stuff than there are shooting the big budgets. There's just more of it. And, and, and the thing is, is that, that what Apple's giving them is a product that they can shoot that can aspire towards being a big filmmaker, uh, you know, a, a filmmaker with $80 million budget, yeah. and they can shoot something that they can actually take into resolve or final cut or premiere and grade. You know, and, and grade it and make it look good and they're not like, well, it's okay. You know, it's, you know, like they, they actually can do something with it they can be proud of. Um, and I think that's a huge, you know, as they as the, as we see the next filmmakers building those out. We don't see a ton of narrative on YouTube, but I think that we'll see more and more of it. And, it, and I think that the phone is definitely becoming, I think by Apple building a big keynote with it, it also legitimizes all the people who they don't feel small. Yeah. Like they don't feel, they feel like I could, yeah. I could and there's. Again, I'm doing a project in a couple of weeks that's all done on Venice's. Right. <laughs> like it's not, it's, I'm, I'm not like saying, oh, hey, you know what we should do is an iPhone for this. There's a ton of advantages just to having big cameras, you know, like, so it's not, but, but the, there is a huge uh, area of production and of creativity and of communication that is available on the iPhone that is amazing. Yeah. I, I think where there is a lot of narrative and just real filmmaking that is always underrated is on TikTok and Instagram, which I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you spend much time watching things there, but a lot I of I watch people, a lot on TikTok. Yeah. I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram. I mean, I, I and it, it's mostly I, I, I had a, I, I have to admit, I'm a little, I've been using TikTok since it was music and I study it in <laughs> I, yeah. detail. Like I remember I, those days. I just, I wrote it off at the time though. I, I couldn't stand it. And I guess I got brought into consult for doing some musically live, some musically live activations. And so I got brought in to look at it. And then I was like, this is a really interesting model. And I, what I should have done right then is started creating content, for it, but I didn't. I just kept on helping people with live activations and working on those things. And then it turned into TikTok. And then I kept on helping people with live stuff and everything else, but I didn't, didn't have time. And I, I made some with my, my kids, my kids, we made it some TikToks, um, you know, mostly cause I just wanted to, I needed somewhere else to experiment, you know, to play with it. And so we made some uh, that are up there, but, but for the most part, I watch it. What's interesting is the watching the trends, Mm -hmm. you know, watching the trends of what works in TikTok and also what works in shorts because shorts is so different than TikTok because TikTok has a derivative culture that shorts doesn't have, which I think kind of kneecaps shorts a little bit, but shorts has more original content in it than TikTok, but TikTok really still lives in this, um, which I love. I'm going to take the same audio and do something different with it to tell you my version of that story which I just think is as a, from a human like research perspective is so fascinating yeah. is to replicate that over and over again. Yeah. I have this feeling. I remember back in the days of like, you know, dig and Reddit that there, there's sort of this pipeline of like idea or memes would come from 4chan to Reddit right. and then to dig. And, uh, you know, now it's from TikTok to Instagram to YouTube or something, you know, like TikTok is still where the craziest ideas are generated. Like there's the most experimentation and it's still really the wild west and people will just do any, there's no barrier to entry. There's the least barrier to entry because there's no expectation of image quality or fidelity or be cool all the time. Like the ones that I, I, for some reason I find, and, and they're a little off color. They're a little not safe for work, but the Jason Banks stuff is so funny. I don't know if you watch any of the Jason Banks stuff, but it's, it's so funny. Like it's a comedian mm-hmm. and he does this thing where he's got a wide face and he's got thing, but everyone just uses his audio and there's all these people voicing the audio and they're, and they're just acting along with it. And I don't know why I think it's so funny, but I just find it to be hilarious that they're doing, you know, these men and women, mostly women are doing it, you know, like they do these funny ones to the, to the thing, but, 
but it's it's a really funny um and he does all these skits about this really inappropriate kid who's like nine or ten years old that just says the worst things anyway so but but it's the um but those are the kind of things that uh i i think that the a level of production that can be done you know now with the iphone is dramatically changing a lot of these things because even for when i did tiktoks of course when i was doing tiktok with my kids of course i didn't do it with an iphone for the most part i did it with a dennis black magic 6k <laughs> right. you know and so i so i i did i had this uh the way i I mean, I did one with that, you know, did, have you ever thought about killing me? You know, like that, there was that meme, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh yeah. And I, and um, so I made, uh, I made this one, but of course I, I put the, I, I mounted the iPhone over top of the, over top of the phone so they could hear it, you know, and I could, you know, see what I was shooting. And I would, and then I shot all the close-ups and did all the wides. And then I cut a nine by 16 for TikTok and put the 16 by nine on the, you know, on YouTube. And, and so um, I, I didn't do it quite that way. And now I could probably do that more easily with an iPhone. Yeah. Well, and I just think we need to get past this idea that TikTok or or Instagram is like somehow not professional. A lot, a lot of people are doing it casually, but a lot of people watch it too. You know, there's a lot of serious stuff to be created there. So, well, a lot of creators are making a lot of money. Yeah. Like we yeah. have to realize like they're not, uh, you know, the uh, some of these creators have uh, t- tens and sometimes hundreds I, of employees. I kind of had like, my they're not, it's, eyes open to recently. My wife sent me an article that was, I don't know, something pretty, uh, I think it was Washington Post talking about like, you know, the, the creator economy is bigger than you think. There's more people making more money than you realize. And this is something I've been, you know, I've been in the creator economy for years now, but I, it really kind of drove home like, wait a minute, nobody does know how much money is out there in the like independent uh, flow of creator economics because none of it is tracked anywhere you know it's like in in terms of what like like direct advertising right like when i do sponsorships on my channel for example it's not part of a platform that can you know create some bigger trend report that the washington post would have any visibility to and most people are in that situation and the other thing is most creators don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, no. So they don't, they don't, they don't want, because there it creates separation between them and their audience. And so they, you know, most of them will never talk about, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I know any creators that really talk about the numbers. There's you know, a niche of, of creators making. that just talk about numbers. That's definitely a thing out there. But, right. There yeah. is that niche, but, but most of the ones that you see that are really doing well, I mean, they may be giving away, I mean, Mr. Beast gives away a lot of money, um, you know, and there's other people that, that, that are obviously making money at this thing, but a lot of them aren't talking about the actual numbers of how much they're making. And in some cases it's, you know, a, there's a, there's a group of creators, I think that I, that I know that are making a solid living. Like it's, it's a solid upper middle class. Like they're making, you know, 150, 200, about 250,000, $300,000 a year, just doing this, you know, like there's some that are just, this is their extra job, you know, like they're just making a little extra money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, for me, it's a big time, a big money hole. Like I just keep putting money into it. I don't actually take any money out. Mm-hmm. I, I got to figure out how to reverse that flow. But anyway, but the, um, but the, but then there's the ones that, that are making, you know, millions of dollars doing this, and they don't talk about that. But they're when you look at the infrastructure that they have to make this happen. I mean, you know, there it's it's a there's there's a lot going on. They've got big warehouses of of gear and things and people and everything else that doesn't. You know, as someone who ru- used to run a company, <laughs> that doesn't come for free. Right. Yeah. And they're going to be shooting a lot more on iPhones. <laughs> um, I think so. Oh, I, and I think that the other thing that we already saw was that I, when I was in DC, I was in DC for about six months working on my studio there and, uh, and building it out. And one of the things I worked, so the building that I was in 
is called is right where Eurovision and everything else comes into it. CBS is next right, to yeah. it, next door, and it's the most connected building in the country. Like it's just there's like 26 dishes on the roof. There's every internet service. There's all the video services all come into this one building. And uh, what's interesting because of that, all of the Eurovision n- news networks are all on the same floor, or the, I think the BBC is a couple floors up. And there's but they're all on the, in that building. And so what you get to see out on the street near it are all these press people pick, doing pickup shots, like doing the, <laughs> doing the whatever it is, and they're doing it in Romanian right. or French or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and they're outside and they're doing it. When I first got there, they had lights and they had cameras and they had two, a producer and they had a, um, a, a camera operator and they had, they had this little stand for their light. And it was very mobile, but it was you pulled it with a little cart to get to where you needed to go. And then by the end of the time that I, when I left, I, I kind of closed that up in like 2019, it was one person with an iPhone with a little wireless thing that that went to the iPhone and they were just doing all their pickups by themselves, yep. like just standing them up. And now you can, we can talk about the destruction of broadcast television and everything else, but we're getting to the point where those iPhones were shooting the same footage. You was you couldn't tell the difference mm-hmm. between what what, yeah. what they it, were doing. The audio better. Was a little, yeah. From a video perspective, you couldn't tell the difference. The audio is really the challenge is getting good audio interfaces and getting that stuff in. But right. but, that's but that's the that's also getting the video was it's getting better like. now too. It's getting easier to, uh, you know, we've got thirty two bit float on these wireless um, uh, transceiver yeah. receivers, and you really can do some not the same, but you can do something competitive with a pretty minimal kit these days too. Oh yeah, it was something the same that was. I mean, you can have a you can have a lab which you had before, which doesn't sound very good, but it's okay, you know. And and then you can plug that into your into your whatever it is your either your your sound devices wireless or your Deity wireless mm-hmm. or your Zaxcom wireless, whatever your electro electrosonic. Those are all the things that or Sennheiser. You know, those are the the ones that we see a lot of, and it's going to sound the same. You know, like it. You know, and especially if it can record locally, which some of them now can do. Yeah. Uh, it all depends on whether you're in the United States. Yeah, or not, yeah that patent has Ugh. a little patent going on there. Well, I'm in I'm in um, Canada, so, so I get the good version. And the nice thing is, these companies actually all they do build it in. So like the road is getting sued for it in the U.S., but I have the Canadian one that can record internally, and Deity as well. I can record internally, but the U.S. one can't. It's oh, can, it's I didn't know if the Deity one. I thought that they had made some deal that they could do it in the United oh, States. Maybe, maybe they, they eventually on release it didn't and. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause like the sound devices, the sound devices, wireless stuff is stunning. Like the controls and the right. quality and everything else in the range. And, uh, but if you buy it outside of the, outside of the United States, you can get, you, it'll record locally. Yeah. But if you're in the United States, not so much. Come to Canada, buy some audio gear. Yeah, exactly. And then drive across. Cause it, it just, all that matters. I mean, I, they can't say this, but all that matters is you buy it where it needs to right. be licensed. And then after that, it works everywhere. Well, so I do want to also talk to you more about photogrammetry, which I think you're the first one I ever heard talking about this. Cause you've been interested in it for years and, and actually putting it to use. And I've suddenly found a lot more use for it in the last year or maybe two years at this point of being able to generate, again, speaking of creating things on your phone, uh, create pretty realistic 3d environments with zero effort or understanding. Um, uh, specifically I'm using that Luma AI for pretty much all of this, but, uh-huh. um, what changed in that p- period, like what got so much easier and, and better about the fidelity when we switched from those between those technologies and how, do, how is it different from photogrammetry? Well, there's been, the photogrammetry has grown, you know, so when, when we first started doing it, I mean, I, I have the, I've been doing this for 30 years now. I can't believe I've been doing photogrammetry for almost 30 years. I mean, maybe a couple years short. 
when we first did it, what we would do is we'd get photos and then you would take, you would take a, a cube typically and you'd set it in the photo and you'd use it to match your focal length. So you use the, the, you'd be finding vanishing points. So you put a couple cubes in there to find vanishing points in your scene. And then you would start to build models against those. You'd start building cubes around it. So there was no, nothing automatic. So in the nineties, mm -hmm. there was nothing automatic. And then real viz and a handful of other folks said, well, if you can, if you can show me where eight to 12 points are in each one of these photos that, that cross over between the photos, I can calculate the camera for you and I can calculate, and then I can help you put those points in once I've calculated that was real business uh, image modeler. And so, so then we started doing that and that was really exciting. And then we had track, we, we started, we had tracking software like Buju and, and, and uh, Pixel Farm and all these other companies would have this tracking software and it was generating all these points because it had to figure out where the, where the camera was and match it. Well, then it was generating all those points and we we're like, Hey, why don't we take that and figure that out? Microsoft had Photosynth, which was never a product that was publicly available but it would grab it would use these points to figure out where to put all these photos to kind of give you the sense of yeah, a 3d I remember experience that. and we figured out how to hack it so that we could pull out all those points like we were like, i just want the points so right. we kept on trying to get the points so um so what's happened is and then we then we had medicine um and reality uh um engine which is, is it reality engine reality capture um, there's so many realities you know that's the problem <laughs> so so anyways we had a meta uh, so the the meta shape you know, really started to be the first one where we, okay, we can take a bunch of photos and we can throw it in there and it's going to find all the 2D points that, that are there. It's going to relate them to each other. It's going to figure out where those cameras are. It's going to, it's going to figure out where all that, that whole surface is and build a surface and throw a texture into it and make it all work. And so that, and that's happened very slowly, but Metashape, you know, really was part of that. And again, um, uh, Reality Capture, which was bought by Epic, um, is another, another version of that. And one of the things that, that they started to do then is be able to convert these to LIDAR. So now we can take the LIDAR data. And when we started doing that, that was really, we were taking real LIDAR camera. I mean, I don't mean real. I mean, the, the, the LIDAR on the separate, phone is yeah, real, but it's not. a camera. The, the LIDAR yeah. on the phone captures thousands, you know, thousands of points or hundreds of thousands of points. The ones that we use in production capture a million points a second right. you know, like to, to, to go out there Different and grab scale. onto those for, for a little bit more range too. They'll go a couple hundred feet or a hundred feet, not 30 feet, you know? And so, so anyway, but as that happened, as you started to mix, so what we, we tend to call the photos unstructured light and the LIDAR structured light, because we know exactly what the distance is. And so, so we, but when you mix the structured light, the structured light acts as a skeleton that you can wrap, that, that creates um, a known truth for the unstructured light, which is the photos to be accurate because the photos can always be, are always going to be more detailed because they're only limited by the resolution of your camera. Right. And so, so anyway, so you have this mixture of those going on and then the real magic, which is going to keep on getting better and keep on general, and we're seeing more and more of this is when you take a phone, the issue is you have the structured light, the LIDAR that's on the phone, but you also have a camera. And the most important thing is it's a camera that is known to the camera. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is a 24 millimeter, um, you know, uh, image. We know that we know exactly what the camera and lens is and exactly what the sensor is and everything else. That saves us a whole bunch of time, you know? Right. And if you add the, the LIDAR to it, it now can just grab onto all this imagery really quickly. And it has a fairly good idea of where all the bits and pieces are. So, you know, you have things like I use a lot of polycam, you know, to, yep. to wave around and, um, and, uh, you can kind of build these 3d models very, very fast that are very accurate. 
you know, like I, when I'm trying to figure something out, like I was in a, I was in a, that was my, my, I, I said before my daughter was playing at a venue. I was in the venue and we were there early because she was able, you know, they were rehearsing and so on and so forth. The place was empty and I was like, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm just going to wander around and build a 3D model because sometimes yeah. I, someday I might need to figure I, out where I to do that all cameras. the time. Yeah. And I just was waiting. And of course, my daughter's friends were like, your dad is taking pictures of the wall. <laughs> you know, like, like I'm, I'm going up and down the wall. Mm. Like this. Just, just, I, I've just, been that guy. capturing all the data. They were like, he's so strange. And not, that did not go over well. But anyway, but, but the, um, uh, but then I have a 3d model of it. And when I measure the height of the, of the stage and I measure the other things, it's all accurate. Right. I mean, plus or minus an inch, you know, and mm-hmm. really it's more the accuracy that I can select it more than anything else. And so, so that's really changed and, and, you know, that's going to keep on getting better. And it, it's, and it feeds into what Apple's doing with photogrammetry, you know, with the, you know, with the vision pro and even with this, the phone, like I, that venue that I captured the other day, I could text it to you. And when you open it, if you open it outside or in a parking lot, it's the same size right. as it was you, when I shot it. You can walk, like into you can it walk through, around yeah. with your phone. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. amazing. If, it, if, it's, if it's in your apartment, you'll, your apartment will intersect with it and it's very confusing. Yeah, so. that's going to get really interesting once you can view them in a Vision Pro. That's it, I mean, it's going to totally yeah. change how, uh, how much, I think how much people have sort of dismissed this as like a, just a quirky, you know, pro- side project well, for I mean, certain people, but all of a sudden, people will be able to kind of experience the results of it in a very different way. Well, and I think that the other thing is, is that photogrammetry, like the number one use I use for photogrammetry is 3D printing. I don't, I'm not printing the object that I scan. Mm-hmm. I'm, I do photogrammetry of a lot of the objects on my desk so that I have an accurate 3D model so that I can model things that, to hold them or model right. little things. Yeah, on accessories them. for them. Yeah, like I had a, I had a, um, uh, there was a, a friend of mine had a pipe that was, that had been mangled, you know, got hit by a, uh, uh, got hit by a, um, uh, lawnmower and they needed a new one. Um, and, uh, and so I just, I, I just went, I waved over it and I got the 3d model and I went to the, I went to the hardware store and I showed it to them. And they're like, I don't, can't, can't quite tell how big it is. And I, I hit it so that it would just sit on the desk in front of <laughs> it's them that big. and they could rotate it around. They go, Oh, I know exactly what that yeah. is. Here's what you need. And, 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 you know, and then, and, and they went and they went and got it because they understood it. And that's where we're going to start to get to where we can do that. Mm-hmm. We can, you know, I was at, um, you know, another place that really kind of opened my eyes around that was I was at Hallmark Cards. We were doing a show at Hallmark Cards, like behind the scenes. I know you don't think that Hallmark Cards would have engineering, but they do because they have to, they have all these weird cards that when you open them, they make a noise. Sure. That's super hard. Like it turns out that that is like, I have, you have three pennies per item to use and it has to work every single time. And that is crazy difficult and so they've got this engineering team that's building these ideas and they've got printers and laser cutters and everything else and i was talking to one of the guys and he was like oh i just print my uh i was asking what he's printing thinking it was something for the card he's like no i got a pipe that i gotta fit in and i'm just printing it for the for home and it would have been printing all night and so those are the kind of things we're going to constantly be looking at and the last thing i'll say about that is if you don't think photogrammetry matters go to amazon pick out a shelf just go to a shelf or something in your house on your phone and see how often it'll pop up and say, would you like to see this in your, in your room? Oh, Amazon has that? Be, I never see that on Amazon. All the time. Oh, I use it. Like I won't even buy something like a shelf or a, or a chair or anything else from Amazon if I don't see that. Because I click on it and it just pops up in my, it says where, you know, you see this little, these little uh, sure. dots appear to show you where the floor is. And you hit it and it just puts that thing to scale in your house and you can look at it. And it's, if it, it, it's the, one of the most 
future feeling things, you know, like it feels like the future when you can just put the object in there, you can rotate it around next to your couch. I had a chair we were like rotating it around and figuring out if it sits right next to the thing, what is it going to look like? And it does a really good job. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the use case I've kind of actually going, going back a minute, when you started saying how long you've been doing this, it gave me an idea for a YouTube video that I wonder if I could generate these with film. Like if I could take a disposable camera and uh, plug the photos in how well when could, we started that's what we did and it was working like we like yeah yeah it'll work. like I mean, modern it, it, automated software without knowing how to draw the cubes and stuff and uh, it would actually yeah you can do oh, i mean because it's try that it, you take you could take pictures with film and then you scan the film and then you put it in there and it, the only tricky part is that you'd have to use a real film scanner and you really have to right. get it you know the yeah. full aperture of it sure there because if that changes at all it will screw up the the system that's the only tricky part of it it would be very hard to do it but well, I did, I did spherical stuff with, with film all the time. Cause so. the thing that excites me about it is the, the filmmaking side of, I mean, personally for me, cause I can't, I, I can't work in 3d. I just don't know how I have it. It's not a skill set I have, but being able to use the new formats out there, I can generate a 3d scan of my room or what I haven't used yet, but I'd like to more is doing it with drone shots where you just record 4k video circling around an area. And instead of trying some death-defying FPV moves where you're, you know, potentially crashing yep. flying under uh, an arch or something, you just scan the area, get, you know, f full quality, and then regenerate the move in 3D later without having a 3D skill set. You know, I, I don't need to learn a new skill. I can just start scanning rooms and spaces and creating moves that I couldn't have otherwise. And we're even... The, the points that we're getting to with with tracking plugins as well that they're just becoming more pervasive yeah. even things on the phone um plugins for final cut pro there's just so many more ways to track a space and insert objects into it so i'm, I'm suddenly finding like oh i don't need to go learn all these things but i can start working with 3d objects and 3d environments and actually using them in 2d work and that's actually even something i'm i'm curious i'm like thinking about for the the vision uh, pro as well is like it, it might also be an interesting tool for generating 2D work, which I still think will consume more of that in total. But all of these 3D, 3D tools become most interesting when you can flatten them down to conventional video, but it just looks really cool. <laughs> well, and I think that there's also a, um, for those, there's a lot when we're thinking about 3D, like a lot of what I've done over the last couple of years is to really focus on, like when for the last 10 years, we go in and we used to take photo, lots of photos, and we'd hand them to somebody and they'd model out the set. And that's just us doing previs. Yeah. So now we figure out where, our, so we had models of, for a long time for Pixelcore, we had models of everything we used. So we had the cameras, the tripods, the lights, everything else, and we put them all in. And A, we'd figure out if they were gonna fit into that room that we thought we were gonna do and exactly where we we're gonna put them. But B, we could show it to the client, like this is, what, this is what it's gonna look like, you know, this is what's gonna happen. And then I could also send it to the crew that's, let's say I'm in, we did one in London for um, this Aesop, I think, Asos. Anyway, so they do- The soap? Kids clothing. Oh, okay. Aso yeah, Asos. Asos, anyway, still clothes, yeah. Asos, I think it's, anyway, they, uh, and so they, um, we sent it to the crew so that before I got there, they knew where I wanted all the lights. You know, like yeah. I, I knew all those things. And, and in other ways, we'll take, we'll take models of a location and we'll put all of our gear in and we'll show it to the client, let them, or the stage, right? The stage and the lighting and everything else and let the client sit in there and put the headset on. We would let them, at the time it was Oculus, put the Oculus and look around and say, oh yeah, this feels right. This feels right. like what I want it to look like. 
Um, and that saves us so much time, you know, to, to be able to make some of those decisions because uh, some of it you just have to, it's really hard to understand when you look at a overhead shot or a 3D render of what it's going to feel like when you're actually standing in it. And I think we're getting past that right now. Yeah, I think it's all really cool. Is there anything you see coming, like trying to predict the next year or two, like what production, what production trends do you see trickling out to being more commonly used or are you excited about well, the, the stereo 180 is going to be, there's a space race coming, you know, between Apple and Meta mm-hmm. that we're about to see billions of dollars being spent, you know, in, in this thing, because Meta is trying to hang on to what, you know, the leadership position they, they got themselves into and Apple's coming in, you know, heavy. And so I think that you're going to see a huge push towards, I think, and I, I don't know where this is all going to end up, but I can tell you in the next year and a half, if you're, if, you know, year and a half or two years, I would at least think about stereo 180. 360 is a little complicated because it's really hard to shoot 360. I've done a lot of 360 and it's really hard to shoot 360 well because you gotta hide all the stuff and all the gear and everything else. Um, and also, uh, does it really matter if you see behind it? Right. It's easier to tell a story and, and let people watch sports and everything else in the 180 view. Um, and that way you're not having to figure out what to fill with the back end. Yeah. I've always so, found that 360 storytelling, like if you're wearing a quest and watching, you know, they have narratives that are created within VR, that experience of when you need to turn your head all the way around to see something that flew well, by is like it, not, not ideal well, we, and not necessary. Definitely not when traditional filmmakers do it. Like we really found that that was a limiting is filmmakers want to do this thing where they, they're going to give you a, a sound that's going to get you to, they want, they want it to still be old. They were like basically, you know, new wine and old wineskins right. kind of approach to things, which is that they want to do traditional filmmaking inside of a 360 environment, which was a mistake. What we did, I don't know if we did it, did it right, but what we really focused on was this idea that uh, I'm going to tell you a story that's very short, but you can explore that story for a while. So we had, we've, we've done things where there's five or six things going on and they're interrelated and you see them all happening. I'm telling you that story, but you might want to watch that loop for a little bit mm-hmm. because it's it's you know because this is happening over here, and you're exploring the story and seeing how it happens over time. So you might watch something for half an hour that might only be three minutes long, right? Because you're you're pulling in all the like, what happened here, and why did that person do this, and why did this do this, or it's just an experience. We did one with a uh, a runway, you know, where the run you see the runway models changing behind something, Um, but you see them getting made up, you see them, you know, coming off screen, you see them going down the side and you can watch all the things that were happening in the runway kind of exposed to you, but you're just, but the runway is just one little part of it, but you're standing in the middle of all the things that are happening. And that was a, you know, that was a really, I, I felt like that was fun to watch as opposed to trying to follow along with someone trying to tell a story, which didn't usually turn out. Right. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, it's going to be extremely exciting. And I know you're going to be on top of it and ahead of it. So thanks again for coming on, Alex. Um, if anybody isn't watching office hours, you do it. How often all the, basically every day is what it seems like. Every day. We haven't missed a, we haven't missed a single day, including weekends and holidays since March 25th to 2020. Wow. Amazing. We've answered now 55,000 questions. Wow. That's actually really amazing. Yeah. That's cool. It's it's a number that just kind of sneaks up on you. And where should people check it out? Uh, They can go to officehours.global. You can sign, if you sign up there, go to join, you'll get a a email every day that tells you what we're talking about that day. Um, And, uh, or you can just go to Office Hours Global on YouTube and see the actual video. Perfect. Well, thanks again for coming, Alex.